Warning, what follows is a story of monsters, madness, and mayhem. Uh, I'm Nick. And I'm Zach. Welcome to We're in Feared, a barely educational podcast about global folklore that aims to enlighten, entertain, and expand your world. Fair. Yeah. That's good. That's okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't want you to be distracted by anything else because I got a question to ask you. Zach, just what the heck is a zombie? Uh, a brain-eating corpse. It's true. Reanimated corpse. Now, was it always that? Probably not. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, because see, our current English spelling of that very word uh, derives from or may derive from the original words... Which hails from the Mitsogo language, Gabon or Gabon, meaning corpse. So that holds true. Yep. While another West African language, Congo, features the word Mizambi, which means the spirit of the dead person. Okay. So, and you know, obviously you can see the lineage here. Mm-hmm. Now, people outside of, you know, um, Africa, Western European powers would not really have known these terms, you know, until these words were introduced to the European empires in the 1800s through their various colonial occupations and heinous kidnappings of the indigenous African peoples Mm -hmm. to fuel their ruthless expansions into the Americas. And for this topic, particularly, you know, the Caribbean. Right. Or Caribbean? Caribbean. Caribbean? Caribbean? Yeah, I think we've discussed this before. We're going to go with Caribbean. Caribbean? Okay. That's our, that's canon for our, Our, our lore. Caribbean. Caribbean. All right. Now, we've talked about Obeya, Hoodoo, and Santria in previous episodes, such, uh, such as Los Narcos Satanicos. On which, just a quick, what was that about again? Uh, crazy drug dealer that stole people's bones and used them in his magic pot. Yeah, so, you know, real. He was a sorcerer. Real fun stuff. Yep. Sorcerer, drug dealer, cartel master. Model. Model. model, too. Yeah, handsome. Yeah. Handsome model, witch doctor. Yep. Just putting spinal cords in the ground, plucking them up on the right. You got to do what, what you got to do, do when you got to feel that nganga. Mm-hmm. Which is a, you know, a like pot, a cauldron of that bones. That people's yeah, that's where parts in. That's where remains go. Yep. And uh, again, in our episode discussing the Sokuyan, a shape-shifting vampire made of fire who serves the, de- uh, serves the demon Bazil. And how the uh, and how the West African slaves brought with them their religions when they were forcibly removed from their homeland and brought over to the Americas. Their religion followed because, of course, it would. Mm-hmm. And we uh, might have tabled on when I was talking about the Asokian, about how France, um, bad stuff, forced their slaves to convert to Catholicism. You know, because colonial empires, you know, they just they just can't stop it being horrible in one way. Well, I mean, they get to do what they want. So they, they get to do. They're going to do want, what they want, and they definitely do what they want. Did so when they forced did. Right? Yeah. Empires are done doing stuff these days. Yeah, there's not one or two, maybe. Not nope, nothing. Um, but anyway, so that fused, you know, those different religions together, the indigenous customs, and their these newly acquired, forced upon them Western Christian beliefs. It all gets kind of spun around to make some stuff, you know. Um. I came across a fascinating uh, BBC article written by a guy named Roger Luckhurst. He's author of a book, Zombies, A Cultural History, from Reaction Press. Cool. Now he goes on to say, quote, The zombie, in effect, is the logical outcome of being a slave. Think about the popularization of this back in the time. We're going to talk about it, but I mean... And yeah. Then we're going to some places because I mean the idea of a ghost or corpse being supplanted. Um, so again, zombie didn't mean you know ghost corpse, but eventually that changed. You know they we introduced like you know the witch doctor, the idea of resurrecting someone from the dead. You know basically kind of becoming a necromancer of some court some sort to do um, his bidding. Mm-hmm. Um, that began to take hold, and then the idea of a walking creature. You know. Under the command of someone, that man, that that recently revived a dead individual, 
you know, would become that doctor's slave. He would control him to do whatever he would want to do. Right. You know, as a necromancer, which doctor is known to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, then, uh, and voodoo itself was an obsession with the imperial powers. Again, when it was connected to the successful revolt that was the Haitian Revolution, because it was vilified again with all of Haiti. And then, after Americans' occupation of the island nation came to an end, the legend of the zombie again gets taken to the mainland United States. Um, zombies started to become part of early budding popular culture. You know, books, pulp fiction. Some films, one notable uh, movie, White Zombie. I haven't watched that, but I haven't there. either. But yeah, and I was thinking about that: how many um, cultural phenomenons and folklore type things could be addressed through movies? Watching that one might be neat to do in my in anyone's own time. Yep, because it, to see it evolve. Because I mean, if anything to helps define what a zombie is, it is in fact live action motion pictures. Leaves quite an impact on the. Uh, on the uh, the lore there, and then certain writers would even go to the uh, Caribbean, and they you know would claim to see zombies in real life, when in reality you know these individuals were just people needing help in you know psychiatric institutions, you know detached, seemingly brain dead, right? Yep, zombie Just checks out. But you know after all that the zombie was here. Across the world, this concept became kind of the norm. From the classic movies from the 1960s, you know the ones, all the way to a popular AMTV show, you know the one. Our cultural has embraced the zombie. And then again, for more specifics on how that culture evolved, check out Roger Luck Hurst's Zombies, A Cultural History from Reaction Press. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's, you know, a zombie. Walking undead corpse. Yeah. Also, you know, George Romero's you know, Night of the Living Dead. Also kind of a... I've never... I mean, I've only seen the Will Smith version of I Am Legend. But, I mean, those vampires are zombies. Right. Zombie, zombie I read the pyres. book I Am Legend. Did you? How was that? Or, I don't think that's the actual title of the book. Probably not. Maybe I forget. Not. I it was know. a bit ago. Uh, I remember being good. Because, I mean, in George Romero's movie, they're never called zombies. Right. They're just... Well, one know. of my favorites is Return of the Living Dead and... Very good. I don't know if they call them zombies in that either. That's a good question. But dang it, the zombies do even just they just go brains. Right. Well, when you get to the talking that one's zombies, fun. That's good stuff. <laughs> oh yeah, that's good stuff. Send more paramedics. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's one of my favorites. I mean, it's real good. It's real ridiculous. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, and I like how pseudo sequel to Night of the Living Dead. The zombies again. It's just it goes all over the place. Yeah. Pick your pick. Choose your own adventure. Mm-hmm. With zombies. Begin folklore, spoken tales, oral traditions, writings, and books. I mean, that's just what the movies are these days. Passing it along. You know what I mean? Yep. Adding your own lore to the uh, the stuff. I mean, you know, 28 Days Later. Fantastic. Very good. You know, virus, interesting. Rage monsters, basically. Um, mm-hmm. Then, you know, Dawn of the Living Dead. Right? That's what, yeah, that's what it was called. The remake, Fast Zombies, you know, Dawn of the Dead. Yeah. Dawn of the Living Dead? Man, I'm too much zombies in my head. But yeah. Dawn of the Dead? Dawn of the Dead. Just the Dawn of the Dead remake, yeah. Fast Zombies, crazy, yeah. violent, aggressive, mm-hmm. monstrous. All right, so anyways, um, you know, so this begs the question. You know, that is, they, that is you know, how fiction and oral history and tradition is kind of you know, morphed, merged the zombie into what we think of a zombie. But if a zombie was actually to exist, I mean, so maybe this begs the question, maybe it doesn't, but we're going to kind of talk about it anyways. If zombies are real and alive on Earth, what could they look like? And this isn't just pertaining to um, zombies in human forms, but I mean, are there other types of undead creatures walking the Earth in some capacities? Well, I know there's some some sort of virus or Bacteria? I don't remember. Oh, yeah. Something Absolutely. reanimates like insect corpses. Oh, yeah. Or maybe it's a fungus? Might I don't remember. Might be both. Yeah. All these things might be coming to you right now. Maybe. They could. Who knows? There may even be a video I have to direct you to about something in one of those lights that just looks horrifying. Okay. Point, we'll, we'll, we'll get there. So we're going to talk about first, let's talk about phytoplasma. Now I'm talking about a bacteria that is carried from plant to plant via insects. That once on a plant, 
let's say a goldenrod, you know, it makes alterations to its structure, and instead of making flowers, the bacteria itself changes the plant, it, its whole structure, and it grows green leafy appendages to better help spread to incoming insects. Because insects, these insects, these bugs, would rather eat the green leafy plant stuff as opposed to the flowers. So the bacteria actually forces the plant to grow leafy things that are like, hey, come here. Hey, little guy. Want a little nibble? Mm-hmm. Want to take a bite? He's like, yeah, fuck yeah, I want a bite. So he comes on over, takes a bite. He's like, oh, now you got bacteria in your gut. And he's like, well, that was delicious. And he flies to another plant, drops off the bacteria. It affects that plant. That plant then, of course, more merges again in the leafy structures and other bugs come and get it. So it basically just kind of, so like so a bacteria virus, basically. Yeah, just spreads. Yeah. A bactovirus, not a term. It's a spreading bacteria, but I mean, you can see the effect it's having here. Uh, they can even develop um, a thing called witch's broom, which I just kept in because it's called a witch's broom. But the plant, like, it's kind of fluffy, bushy. Okay. So, like, it's kind of, you know, like a witch's broom. Okay. Also makes it sound just kind of, you know, kind of sinister. Witchy. Witchy, yeah. So, that's the bacteria doing its thing. Without these flowers, again, the uh, the plant, without the flowers, then the plant can no longer continue on its lineage because it can't release, release its own, you know, oh. spores and stuff. Yeah, so like just, It's just hijacked. Yeah, basically. it's It only exists to facilitate the spread of this virus, I mean, this bacteria. So the bacteria morphs it into just a tool. So, I mean, has this plant become a version of some type of zombie thing? It's still alive, but also this foreign thing has intertwined itself into it and made it something basically new because it doesn't do what it was put on this earth to do. It's been transformed right. by another, another living creature to fulfill its purpose of just spreading. It's, you know, helping the bacteria reproduce. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the bugs carry that within their gut and they become, other plants become infected. They bite new plants and then the vicious cycle of conque- uh, conquest continues. I mean, conquest, pestilence. Anyway, it's just something that's, you know, not the same horseman. Okay. Kind of the same horseman. Now, quote, these plants become the living dead. Eventually, they only serve the spread of the bacteria, end quote. That's basically where those thoughts were coming from that I was just telling you. Those are from Professor Gunter Thiben. Now, when it comes to real-life zombies, again, insects are kind of the name of the game. Now, how do you feel about wasps? Got some hot takes on wasps. They're assholes. What do you think? Kind of, kind of, you know. Dicks. Yeah, kind of rude. Pricks. Just rude. Pieces of garbage. Yeah. All right, why don't we tell you about a real jerk? Okay. Want to hear about this jerk? Uh, this might be pronounced wrong because I don't know how to pronounce all wasp, um, you know, terms. Hmm. Zatypota. Z-A-T-Y-P-O-T-A. Zatypota. Zatypota. Sure. Those wasps don't just sting their prey or enemies. They control them. Are they wasp witch doctors? Yep. That's what I'm going with. Now, I will neither confirm or deny that they're wasp witch doctors, but these wasps, they they sting. They come at spiders, and they sting them. Okay. Because when you got a stinger, you use it. Yeah, sure. And you're like, what's up, spider? What's up? You're stung. The spider's like, ah, paralyzed, prick. obviously. He's like, that hurt. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this real jerk then lays her eggs on the spider. Mm-hmm. And then the wasp flies away. They're stuck to the spider. It's a spider. And no other spider's going to, like, help take this off. Yeah. So the spider's like, well, shoot. Got eggs in my back. Yep. In my abdomen, which is, like, my back. Because I'm a spider. Yeah. Thorax. There you go. Whatever. I don't know. I <laughs> <laughs> Ah, spider insect terms. Arachnid terms. Bugs. It's easier just to say bugs. Yeah. They're all bugs. Bugs is an all-encompassing term. All right, so a spider does normal spider things. Again, your regular neighborhood, you know, spider. Uh Spooter. Spider, yeah. With eggs on its back until the eggs hatch. That's probably going to go okay for the spider, yeah. 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 When this happens, these baby wasps, I guess the doctor term would be larvae, they chow down on the spider. Yeah, but their goal is not to simply eat the spider, but to become its master. Quote, this behavior modification is so hardcore, the wasp completely hijacks the spider's behavior and brain and makes it do something it would never do, 
like leave its nest and spinning a completely different structure. That's very dangerous for these tiny spiders. That was Felipe Fernandez Fournier, somebody who knows more about bugs than me. Mm-hmm. Now, these poor spiders then construct bizarre cocoons, basically. So, th- And they attack like communal spiders. So like spiders are like, you know, web here, web there, mm-hmm. everywhere. Web, web. Like it's a yeah. little community. They don't live off by themselves. Okay. So the wasp goes, boom, I got you. And then the spider eggs hatches. Then when that happens, the spider kind of like twitches out, and then it, it just decides to leave. Like it, it's being controlled through, and I, I get into this a little bit more, kind of, sort of, because I don't completely understand. I was looking for a good explanation of how. Mm-hmm. But disregardless, it does. So then the spiders like go off by themselves, go up and like spin a cocoon, and like they're all stuck in it. So like they build like a little home for like the wasps' babies to grow and mature be healthy with nothing to attack them then there's a nice spider they can just fucking devour when the time comes snack yeah a little treat yeah so Samantha Strauss PhD student in UBC's Department of Zoology and co-author of a study dealing with these guys said quote we think the wasps are targeting these social spiders because it provides a large stable host colony and food source she goes on we also found that the larger the spider colony the more likely it was that these wasps would target it, end quote. Well, that's exciting. Because they're just all together, so boom, boom. Now, I included this from the uh, Science Daily uh, article summarizing their report because, well, this is a quote from the article. It tells us a little about Samantha Strauss, which I thought, I don't know, you might appreciate that. Strauss, who now sports a a tattoo of the wasp, you know, this specific wasp, she has tattooed in her body, will return to Ecuador to investigate whether the wasp returned to the same spider colonies generation after generation and what evolutionary advantage that might present. So my question is, I don't know, you're talking to me about this today, you spend a lot of time with bees. Yeah. When, when's your next bee tattoo coming? I've thought about getting one. It would be pretty cool. They're cool. Now, from another article addressing, I just like there's a scientist in the forest with a wasp tattoo looking at wasps. Yeah. I like it. I do. From another article addressing that, um, another article addressing this, there are 15 species of this kind of wasp um, from Discover Magazine. Quote, the biology of spider attacking parasitoid wasps is very fascinating and at the same time cruel. And this uh, study co-author Diego Padua an entomologist with the National Institute for Amazonian Research in Brazil. He said that in an email. Now, I kept digging, like I was telling you kind of earlier. I wanted to know how. How does this work? Work. The wasp sings, sings, hilarious. Autocorrect. Hmm. First, the wasps, you know, has a little yeah, song to tell. Serenades them. Yeah, serenades the spider, and the spider's like, oh, that sounds beautiful. Yeah. What are it sounds, you? It sounds like wasp. Yeah. It's just it's 80s. the sound of your demise. It sounds like wasp, the band. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Oh, this man, this okay. kicks this kicks butt. Yeah, this is awesome. What wow. are we doing? This, this is guy's bold. nuts. I didn't expect that. This, this is guy, wild. <laughs> this guy's <is> nuts. <laughs> yep. If I knew a wasp song at the top of my head, I would have tried to. The only one that, that jumps to mind is "Fuck Like a Beast." So, <laughs> <laughs> so imagine that blasting. Yeah. As the spi- the wasp goes in for the uh, the spider attack. So the wasp stings, lays eggs. And then, uh, you know, the larvae eat its arachnoblood, blood and then introduce a, quote, behavior-altering substance into its system. Now, I'm like totally, I, but how does it work? How does the behavior-altering substance work? Like, what does it affect? They don't, a lot of articles, I could have dug deeper, I do admit this. Mm-hmm. But they weren't actually telling me the specifics of what kind of, you know, is it a phenome or what kind of, you know, what it's doing to change the spider's overall biology because it just basically make compels him to go do these things that he is not programmed to do like he's he's you know his his hard drive is overwritten he's wiping he's just going to do this now which also makes you wonder how sentient are spiders does it know it's happening it's like oh shit why do i want to leave my friends yeah i I just need to where's where's daryl going well daryl the spider daryl come on man i got something to do why? I don't know. But I bet it has something to do with these wasp eggs on my back. <laughs> yeah. They're kind of chowing down into me. But yeah, I could not. I don't know. 
Now, they also have five spider uh, target species that they go after. So, like, it's a weird symbiosis. Like, they go after specific ones because they, you know, are maybe more susceptible to the wasp attack. Um, but much is still unknown about these specific flying zombifiers. Mm-hmm. Now, for our next zombifier, we have to go all the way back 48 million years. And we don't have to go back. But we're going to. But fossilized remains of what I'm about to dive into have been discovered that date back at least that far. T-Rex zombies. T-Rex zombies. That'd be cool. We got back then wasps like seven feet tall. Stunned by one of those bad boys. Be a bad, bad day. Hacks the brain of a Tyrannosaurus and is just killing everything in sight. Even makes a T-Rex, you know, spin a web. Mm-hmm. That'd be cool. Yeah, Spider-Rex. Oh, my God. Spooter-Rex. All right. This, I believe, is what you're thinking about in the beginning. Ophiocordyceps, or just cordyceps. It's a fungus that allowed and has allowed my imagination to run wild. They can be found across the world, ranging from the Americas and Japan. You know, forests, usually those kind of environments, tropical type things. Now, the fungus is able to take over the minds of living creatures to force them to spread their spores. Now, again, when it comes to zombies nowadays, spore spore daddy, spore daddies. Yeah, with the spore daddies, insects, the bugs. Mm hmm. But again, not a bacteria this time, or a wasp larvae, fungus. Uh, high within certain forests exist, uh, exist ants that use the canopy to go about their business. You know, going leaf to leaf, staying high above the you know, forest floor. But the canopy is not always connected. So they're usually high away from what lurks down below. Mm-hmm. The leaves are not always touch, so they have to go from tree to tree. So this forces them to travel down the tree. Descending to the forest floor, where the fungus's spores are more prevalent and waiting for them. Now, when an ant is exposed, the spores slowly crack the insect's exoskeleton using, uh, you know, enzymes and what have you. So mm-hmm. it breaks his outer structure of his being and permeate his hemocoel. I think that's how it's pronounced. Don't know though, but it is blood and plasma. Because insects, they have an open circulatory system. It's all this fluid together. Yes, goo. They're just basically jello inside of a ro- inside of a, you know a robot, basically an endo, you know, a structure. Yeah. Cool. So it's all floating around in there. The infection, then the bacteria starts to get inside and starts like feeding off of it, and just like the, the fungus. Sorry, I use all these these things interchangeably, but they all are very different, and they all mean very distinct things. Mm-hmm. So the infection causes the ant to twitch and act irregularly. He's not quite himself. He's not in good shape. So then the process, you know, not totally immediate, um, you know, because the ant gets infected, but he starts doing around and doing ant stuff. But then eventually he's going to kind of fall back to the forest floor where his, you know, the changes into his behavior start to become more drastic. Because for one, he has now gained super strength. Good, because ants already had that. Right. So imagine. So what is that? <laughs> his mandible is now unusually strong. For an ant. Well, that's scary. The pressure is just immense. Everything that I read talked about how it's just like a... It's just the power. It's a clampdown. He's going to need it. There's a specific reason. The fungus needs that clampdown mandible power. Okay. Then under no volition of its own, because again, like sinewy fibers or like fungal tissue is like interwoven into his muscle, muscles and it's making him move. It's making it walk. Mm-hmm. And again, how, how sentient is an ant... Because, I mean, ants and their colonies, like their drones are programmed. Like, they, they do a thing. That's what they do. Mm-hmm. So to override that programming has got to be something. Like, that's all it exists to do. Right. And it's like, nah, man, you're doing this instead. Okay. We're going to hijack your drone power. You're going to walk around with your superpowered mandibles and walk to the floor and then climb 26 centimeters onto a plant up its stem. And this is where these super powerful mandibles come in because it uses, it clamps down and like chomps, like ah, onto the stem. And that's what's securing him to the thing. Because mm-hmm. he, he's looking for the, the spot that's, you know, the perfect temperature, humidity top notch. Like this is the best fungal situation you could ask for. Okay. But the ant, of course, asks for none of this. Right. So he's latched in there. And then um, 
again, just kind of just the mandibles just pushing so hard. Um, at this point, the ant has stopped being himself. And then the fungus feeds on the ant, and the ant becomes more fungus than ant. Again, how we talk about insects gooey on the inside, mm-hmm. skeleton on the outside, hard stuff. Yep. Now it's just like all fungus in there. And then eventually, of course, it, he dies. David Hughes, associate professor of entino- en- entomology and biology at Penn State, quote, in essence, these manipulated animals were a fungus in ants' clothing. Yeah, that's pretty scary. It is pretty horrifying, right? Yeah. Just imagine the whole breakdown. It's a lot to deal with. Uh, the ant's ability to open its mandibles goes away because... Um, they talked about how, like, the ant's brain could, like, still, like, want to open the mandibles or, like, you know, like, it could, but basically... Um, just turns off it, the ability. It atrophies. So, like, it's his openers are now closers forevers. Huh. And he's just latched in there, and he's stuck as the fungus ravages him alive. Now, from an article entitled, Zombie Ant Death Grip... Which is a good name for anything, by it's the way. It's a good way. band name. Yeah, absolutely. Perfect. Zombie ant death grip due to hyper-contracted mandible muscles. Uh, from the article, quote, The fungus grows within the ant's body, consuming all of its resources, extends a stalk from the ant's head, and then sporulates, dispersing infectious spores from the stalk onto uninfected ants, foraging along the forest floor below. The fungus is unable to grow or spread within the nest, making the manifestation of these behavioral changes in areas around individual colonies essential for efficient transmission to new hosts. So hmm. once he goes supernova, if anybody happened to be around him at the time... Wait, so it, like, pops? Basically, yeah, like a... We gotta... I don't... We'll find a time. I don't know when the good time is to have you watch this, but, I mean, I'll describe it to you. Um, maybe even just after. It's like but, a popcorn? Yeah, basically, because, like, Pop. the ant is, like, latched in here, okay? Then, like, a long, thin... Like fiber, fungus fiber, almost like a stem by itself. So it's coming straight out of like behind the back of the ant's skull. Hmm. And at some point, a big bulbous like orb forms at the top with the little spores and just kind of, they go off. Oh, okay. Would Less you... dramatic than what I was envisioning. Boom! Yeah, yeah <laughs> I, I mean, thought like the, the ant corpse was going to die. Right, no, no, right. <laughs> like, exactly, exactly. But as far as like, you know. it's still pretty wild. Yeah, fungus come out of an ant's body. I mean, he's just, and then like. What happens is when other ants are infected, this can wipe out an entire colony. Yeah, I bet. So, like, if you come across this, you will see just, like, literal ant graveyards. Necrop- an ant necropolis. Where their, their mandibles, their dead husks are clamped to these stalks. And again, like, 26 centimeters off the ground, you know, little ants, like, uh, I talk about in here, like, the Americas, like, a carpenter ant is one of them, evidently, that it gets sucked into. Um... So just all these like little stems coming out of the ground with these ants suckered to them with the little spore things coming up. And you just come across like 20, 30 just like dead ant carcasses. Like, oh, my God. Just gone. Crazy. It's wild. So after three weeks, the fungus is ready to release its own spores from the long appendage that has erupted from the ants now dead carcass. It's hanging corpse, a monument to the brutal circumstances of the spores creation. And again, like I just told you, the animals are stuck together. Last round, whatever stem the fungus had directed the ant to by weaving itself into the ant's muscle fibers. Now, there are variations of this kind of fungus, and each, kind of like the wasps targeting specific spiders, each fungus targets a specific ant breed. Like, they've evolved to be like, this is my guy. If these are ours, you guys can take these ants. Right. And so it has evolved its method flawlessly for each specific target. So, like, other ants, if the spores attack other ants, they might get infected, but they won't be able to totally be, like, mind overridden. They might they get sick and, who knows, maybe even still get fucked up and die. Like, the process isn't going to be as involved as it is for the specific thing it has evolved to just go after. Which I'm like, well, that's interesting nature. Wild thought there. Yeah. Jeez. Mm-hmm. And, again, one such uh, carpenter ant is, a, like, maybe they won't be able to control them as much, you know? Like, it's in there, but... It's not, like, how does a fungus, it just does. You know what I mean? It's bred to just do this. Yeah. Because there's no fungus being like, hey, this is what we got to do. It's like, I'm just doing this. Yep. 
This works. Yeah, this is what we've been. Uh, this is what this is what works. Again, the Carpenter Ant is one host in North America, and then across the world, there are six hundred types of cordyceps who prey on a variety of insects and bugs. Again, fungus gets on them, but mm-hmm. I don't think any really do the whole mind control type deal. But the kind that manipulate and maneuver these ants, well, they're quite a doozy. Now, perhaps these insects and spiders should be treated more as, I don't know, like zombie-ish, but like they're possessed, too. Like a demonic possession, but I mean, it's all nature. There's no nothing supernatural here, which is, again, the scariest part. It just exists and can happen. But like they're overridden by some force. They're, there's something, you know, some intrusive element is like inside them, making them do all these things. But if we have to pick, but I mean, um, but in the movies and like folklore and stuff, or basically like the movies, zombies die. You know, you're a human being, you die. Yeah. And then you're reanimated yep. as a zombie. With the ant, like the control, like the controlling happens before the death, and then you're just done. You know what I mean? Like it's a. Well, I think that's like 28 days later. You. you exactly. Don't, you don't really die. It's a virus. It just infects you real quick. And 28 days later, I, think, I mean... I don't know if that's the only one that's like that, but that's the first one that jumps to mind. Well, it's, you don't have to be dead. It's the, with like one of the most recent... Um, and recent, it's an old movie by this point. Yeah. But it, that was a you know, more recent, realistic interpretation of like a zombie. Oh, if it happens, it's probably going to be a virus. Yeah. So it's going gonna, it's gonna to affect living creatures because it comes from nature, like the fungus, like the bug, like the even the wasp. It's a nature thing. Uh, the fungus, the bacteria, the virus... Yeah. And what's cool about viruses is some of them can be pretty resilient. I don't know if you know about this. Right? <laughs> oh, oh, really? <laughs> oh. <laughs> I, just, I don't, you know. How much have you heard about viruses lately? I don't know. Uh, enough. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, they're pretty resilient. Yeah, they are. The permafrost is thawing. Yeah, that's good. So, I mean... There's definitely nothing coming out of there. No, due to the rapid nature of our destabilizing climate... What? What do you mean? It's it's fine. Yeah, scientists have discovered super viruses. Good. I know. I, uh, I stumbled into a path I had been down before. And last time I went down this path, well, you know, hey... Good. Let's just keep going. All right, so from a, uh... From National, uh... Geographic article dealing with such a topic. And now, how super are these super viruses? Super duper. Giant viruses is actually what they're called. Giant viruses. Yeah, so the HIV virus has 12 genes. Okay. Okay, that's HIV. Not good. Virus does some damage. Yeah. Now, the uh, the pethovirus, another, uh, this is a, a giant virus, has um, 500 genes. What do you think about that? I think it's a big number. It's a large number. So, like... I don't... I'm not a pathologist. Yeah. So, it's just a big number to me. Uh, there's also... And then, as of 2014, we have a virus. And I... Uh, well, you'll like its name. The Pandora virus. Yeah. Guys, why'd you call it that? What do you mean? What's wrong with that? What are you doing? The Pandora virus. What do you think... Um, well, I was listening to Pandora when oh, I yeah, discovered it. Oh, yeah, right. There's nothing. What else is attached to that name? Oh, absolutely nothing. Right. How many genes did that have, do you think? They, 69. Ah, uh, it's funny. <laughs> it's a funny number because you had to choose something. So that, yep. <laughs> that's how it goes. Yeah, that's how that goes. Uh, 2,500. Oh. Oh, hell. Well, oh, that's an even bigger number. Yeah. Large numbers and viruses, I think, are bad. Uh, they don't seem good. No. Now, giant viruses are called that because, you know, they can easily you still you, they can easily be seen with a normal microscope. Like you don't need a, you know, an advanced microscope. Everything I read just keeps like a normal standard, you know, probably just, you know, get a slide, whatever. You just look in like, "Oh, there's a virus in there." I can see it. That him. doesn't seem good. Yeah, right? It seems big. Yeah. It seems giant. Yeah. Well, guess that makes sense. All right. So, but again, um, how old do you think these giant viruses may have been that they found in the permafrost? Because that's not a recent thing. The melting of it is. The permafrost has been around for 
a while. Ever? I mean, it's called the permafrost. Right. So what do you think? 30,000 years? Does that sound good enough? Uh, yeah, whatever the last ice age was. Yeah, so 30,000 years, they uh, these things have been embedded in ancient permafrost. And, like, you know how, like, virus, you know, again, I don't know, again, how much knowledgeable you are about viruses these days. But, you know, washing your hands with soap and water takes care of it. Yeah. But well, if you can see it on your hand, well, I don't does know. it? <laughs> yeah, when you're using a fly swatter to hit the virus. Yeah. Get out of here. Yeah. Um, their shells are, like, very strong. They're probably not going to cut it. So, like, that's not good. No. All right. So, um, from that National Geographic article... Um, they exposed amoebas, these uh, scientists, to, uh, to the virus in a lab. So they found a virus and threw it against some other stuff. Yeah, here you go. go Just, to town. you know, they found that the virus was still active. Good. And quickly infected the host cell. Good. And then it's they fed those host cells to what? Um, cattle. Then humans ate the cattle. And actually, this is me telling you, Zach, we have to run for cover right now. We're in trouble. Shit's going down. The I, zombies are coming. That's fine. Yeah, right. I mean, this add, add, it to, add it to the pile of problems. Yeah. <laughs> a quote. We use amoeba on purpose as a safe bait for capturing viruses. We then immediately verify that they are not able to infect animals slash human cells. And then part of the article stressed the researchers. Guys. Yeah. <laughs> Guys. That's fine. So that's called a zombie virus in a way. I mean, it's just been frozen for a bunch of years. But like, so clearly it wasn't dead dead, obviously. It was frozen. It got Han Soloed. It's just, you know, yeah. it's waiting to be. It got Walt Disney'd. It got Walt Disney's. God, if we could cut off this thing's head and freeze it. I mean, maybe that's what they did. Oh, God. quote oh yeah but yeah something seemingly dead brought back to life or reanimated i suppose is the correct we can phrase it that way mm-hmm. Thirty thousand years quote mining and drilling means digging through these ancient layers for the first time in millions of years if um viable in parentheses like viral particles are still there this is a good recipe for disaster said why clavery and evergel the scientists we talked about earlier yeah <laughs> why why? All right. But, I mean, okay. Don't get carried away. Edward Makarski, professor of microbiology at Emory University, said, quote, The idea would make a great movie. Yeah. But is sure it extremely, yeah, right? Extremely unlikely viruses, um, extremely unlikely the virus came from a frozen human being who possibly died from a virus that is no longer in circulation. So the idea is that, like, Humans ain't down there. Viruses ain't feasting on humans. So, you know, you, again, like how viruses can... If there's nothing for the virus to infect, it can't exist. So it doesn't exist. So chances are we should be fine. He's an optimist, I would argue. I would argue he's an optimist as well. Because, you know, who, who would have thought any of this stuff... All right, and then I was doing, I was jumping around a bunch of things with the viruses going down paths and stuff, um, as you do when you're addressing things for a, so, a show such as this one. Here's a headline of an article from ibtimes.co.in, and let me uh, just let me know if this seems a little bit unsettling to you. Zombie outbreak to happen in real life could happen in real life, and it only needs evolution of one parasite. Good. I mean, that sounds like the most fun apocalypse, you know. Right. I mean, when I was on the way over here thinking about this episode that I had prepared, like the early days of whatever's, you know, I mean, whatever's still going on now. What? It's going on. I know. It's this thing that people are dealing with. Are they? I mean, that's, I mean, yeah, people, not all people, not all persons, certain people are dealing with. When like cities were empty and like no one was doing anything because they were really scared and thought it was actually a problem for that well, that was like two weeks maybe, and then we've never been there again. Mm-hmm. That was eerie. That was as close as you can get to like a zombie situation 
Right. I mean, in a, the fact that carbon pollution went down because nobody was driving or going anywhere. Yeah, my bees did great last year. Yeah, they <laughs> loved it. Yep. Man, never mind. I wasn't gonna. Say, I was gonna say it as a joke, but it's not nice to say because it's actually ruining the world. You know, man, Zach's bees need more pandemics. They don't though. <laughs> <laughs> they don't though. They don't. <laughs> they don't though. A parasite uh, called Toxoplasma gandhi. Gandhi. It's a fun name. Has been discovered that makes that. It's a fun name. <laughs> has has been discovered uh, that makes rats fearless. So fearless, in fact, they charge cats. They're good. like, "What are you doing?" And the cats, <laughs> cats are like, <laughs> "Uh, this doesn't seem good." Then <laughs> <laughs> the cats, of course, proceed to kill them because like, "Oh, this is easy. <laughs> All right, this is fun." You're coming to me? Yeah. This redefines the whole game we've been playing for millennia. The cat and mouse thing is totally different. Yeah. When the game cat and mouse just isn't a euphemism for suicide. It's like, yeah, we've had a little cat and mouse game. Oh, my God, he killed himself? Well, assisted. Yeah. Right. Yeah, Kevorkian. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, that's good. We're talking about this cool topic. I guess it's appropriate. It's a little dark there. So why the hell would a parasite make rats run toward cats? Because it wants to be infected by the cat, or it wants to infect the cat. Controlling the rats. Why would it do this? I mean, I've kind of set a little bit of a stage here. Why does any any of these things happen? To reproduce. I mean, that's what... To that's, carry it on. That's all viruses that's do. all that they do. And when they hijack something's brain and go to town. From a Nature.com article, quote, The microbe is a single-celled pathogen that infects most types of mammal and bird, causing a disease called taxoplasmosis. But its effects on rodents are unique. Most flea cat odor, but infected ones, are mildly attracted to it. Great. Oh, yeah, give me some of that cat shit. Yeah. Give me some of that. I'm going to charge that cat. <laughs> I'm just imagining a rat scurrying toward the cat. Mm-hmm. As you do. As they do. Now, this is thought to be, and thought, I mean, we know, you know, an evolutionary adaptation to help the parasite complete its life cycle. Because toxoplasma, and like, how specific is this madness? Toxoplasma can um, sexually reproduce only in the gut of a cat. That's why I've heard this before. Right. Because, because you, it, and, you and me may even have it. Because it infects people, but you don't even know it. Yeah. Well. Yes. Maybe. Maybe you do kind of know it. Maybe you don't kind of know it. No. And for it to get there, of course, the pathogen's rodent host must be eaten. So, like, just a, like basically, like, you know, the pathogen's, like, it hops in its rat car and goes into its cat tunnel. And like, <laughs> bam, here I am. Yep. Let's go. And again, so yeah, you do know this because uh, you know this wouldn't I know su- a little bit about. Well, it, this wouldn't surprise you if I told you forty million Americans are already infected with it because uh, you know, right? Even that seems kind of like a low number, honestly. But I'll deal with it. Mm-hmm. But again, not everybody's around cats. I mean, I don't own any cats, but I know plenty of people that do. So yeah, I wasn't around cats until probably the past few years, and I've held it, and I know it's been in shit. So like, oh, I bet I got toxoplasma. Mm-hmm. What is that doing to me? Well, it could. Who knows? Maybe that's like in The Walking Dead. Like, they're all infected. Right. Maybe people infected with toxoplasma or whatever in a couple of, you know, a couple generations of that virus. When you die, you reanimate. Is that what it's building towards? Yep. I love the, <laughs> I love the certainty. It's my favorite. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah. Obviously, we talked about how might people be infected. Well, obviously. I quoted the CDC website just because I liked their official section on Toxoplasma, because this is where I careened off into the woods. But, like, you know, whatever. Accidentally swallowing the parasite through contact with cat feces that contain toxoplasma. Now, that sounds grosser than it is. You know, that might... (laughs) I mean, this might happen by, of course, cleaning a cat's litter box when the cat has shed toxoplasma in its feces. But, again, cat's litter box, you just pick up a cat, it's on its feet. There it is. Mm -hmm. Done, you know? Or if you just, you know... Like to lick your cat or its poop. You got you got more problems. You got, to talk you got to. plenty yeah. of problems. Then I don't I think you got more parasites than we need to talk about right now. Yep. Yeah. So what's impressive is like from the same uh, Nature.com article. I mean, it talks about that 
the parasite makes mice lose um, their fear of cats permanently. So like it kind of like because like like you said, it exists in our heads, maybe. Like it, the articles talk about how it kind of forms like cysts in your brain, which like like I don't like that, whatever that is. But I guess you know, harmless. It's just there. Doesn't nothing really comes of it. And, and then it, the uh, the pathogen gets less and less involved. Like it works itself somewhat out of the rat system. I'm no doctor, but I'm just kind of paraphrasing what I was reading today. Mm-hmm. Um, so then, like after it's well out of their system, it has totally like rewritten their brain chemistry or how they think. So like the fear of animals such as a cat is just not in their head anymore. It's done. Like they've just ripped it out. That's good that something can just do that to you. Yeah. It's, it's good that that's in people, too. It's yeah. definitely not ever going to be a problem. Yeah, which is what we're going to get into right now. Oh. Kind of ties into episodes we may have talked about a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Studies have made connections with behavioral changes and schizophrenia with toxoplasma infection. Oh. Now, a lot of things talked about how um, it could be... it could. They, it's it's a little uncertain as I guess how I'll phrase it how a uh, toxoplasma like did someone is someone with schizophrenia more susceptible to picking up the toxoplasma or does the toxoplasma help increase the you know ferocity and of their you know schizophrenia or help induce it um, because what is true is that I guess people with schizophrenia are more likely to be exposed or to have toxoplasma to anyone than anyone else as far as how the numbers work out. Interesting. Which I was like, all right. And I mean, we talked about a guy who was around animals a few weeks ago. We don't need to talk about it more than that, but... Right, yeah. Um, from the article, quote, People with schizophrenia are more likely than the general population to have been infected with toxoplasma, and medications used to treat schizophrenia may work in part by inhibiting the pathogen's replication. So, like, if you cut off the toxoplasma... That's crazy. They're thinking it can help help their symptoms. Huh. So, like... Uh-oh. I don't like this. <laughs> me neither. Right? Yeah. We've been talking about bacteria, fungus, and different parasites, parasitic things that change animals. If there's even... The fact that it's even mentioned as, like, a thing that could possibly maybe actually be going on. Mm-hmm. Like, ah, not a fan. Nope. Don't like it. Don't like it at all. Uh, quote. The idea that this parasite knows more about our brains than we do and has the ability to exert desired change in complicated rodent behavior is absolutely fascinating. I would say maybe horrifying, but it is fascinating, I suppose. Uh, Toxoplasma has done a phenomenal job of figuring out mammalian brains in order to enhance its transmission through a complicated life cycle. Uh, said Wendy Ingham, a molecular cell biologist at the University of California, Berkeley, who played a role in that study. Um, Now, Dr. Ben Newman, a professor of virology at the University of Reading, quote, There are parasites out there that get close to making actual walking around zombies. But the real weirdos locked up in Mother Nature's basement are the viruses. There are more viruses out there than we will probably ever discover, and I bet that somewhere out there in nature, something like this is happening. If you look at rabies, it completely changes the way a dog behaves. It's transmitted by bites. It leads to madness, convulsions, and so it's not really that far-fetched. End quote. Yeah, I mean, rabies is kind of like the rage virus in a way. Right. It's It's exactly what it is. But it doesn't do that to us. We just get sick, right? Does do we become that? What happens to a human with rabies? Do they no, go you mad? Just get really sick. That's what I thought. It doesn't, you know. You get like hydrophobia and shit. Right. But it doesn't make rabies you, is bad. It's horrible. Not good. No. You don't want to be old yeller. No. No, you don't. So we come full circle. Realistically, realistically speaking, what could a zombie look like? In our actual physical world. Fearless rage monsters caused by cat poop? Yep. Of course. Could a fungus evolve to totally co-opt our motor skills? Make us climb a tree? 
and sprout long tendrils into spore pods that release them across the earth to infect all of humanity. Mm-hmm. What if, you know, what are scientists doing in these labs playing around? What if a genetically modified wasp, murder hornet, made us obey its every command and feed its children? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. If a wasp took control of you, I'd just imagine you have to walk around stabbing anybody that gets too close to you. Sting. And, like, a little spider can only have so many. Imagine, like, a human being being stabbed by multiple wasps mm-hmm. that lay larvae on them. And, I mean, a human might be like. But then again, I was going to say a human might, like, go visit, you know, someone and be like, this is an issue. But people kind of reject medical advice these days, so they be like, I'm, you know, uh eh. And then yeah. slowly they become... Yeah, what if these wasps, wasps stop wasps. targeting spiders? Because they're like, well, we have to keep targeting them over and over. Like, if we hit this giant meat sack that walks around, <laughs> we can hit it multiple times. And some guy, some, some guy's, like, going for a jog, and he's like, is that a wasp song? Yeah. Who's blasting a wasp? Yeah. I haven't heard that in 30 years. Oh, shit. It's a lot of hornets coming at me. (laughs) (laughs) What a symphony of terror. Mm -hmm. And then, like, how the spider would spin its web and make a whole different web. It's so amazing. That guy just goes home and turns his house into some horrifying den. I like where you took it. I just figured he was going to glue, like, some popsicle sticks together. He was like, here you go, guys. No, it's going to be like, what is that movie? Slither? Yes. The guy's yes. Just collecting meat in the basement. Yes, that's exactly for these wasp children that are growing inside of his flesh. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, that's our idea. Mm, meat. <laughs> that movie's great. It's amazing. Slither's fantastic. Yeah. Didn't we see that in theaters? Probably. I think we did. I think we did see that one in theaters. That's good. But yeah, so there's potential avenues because the world isn't cool enough. I decided to punish myself. I'm like, well. What if we throw zombies in the mix? And what if they, how, how might that look? How could that form? Because um, like, you, I, like you, I was surface level familiar with, you know, that, the ant stuff. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's weird, right? Yeah. So then the wasps, the spider, I mean the spiders, the wasps, the bacteria, the fungus, the viruses, and the cat poop and the, uh, I was going to take a dive in, into looking, you know, reading more of the research papers about the links between toxoplasma and schizophrenia, you know, careening off into scientific papers and stuff but I figured to keep it kind of con- the, the fact that it was even mentioned enough would be just worth being like well that's not great right especially with that whole thing on my mind from something we may have talked about a few weeks ago it's like oh my god right because like that's not what that man has other terrible problems I mean but but I'm, but you can't say that maybe did not contribute to anything I don't know. Right. Like, I don't know enough. I'm not a doctor. Because, I mean, uh, you know, because Richard Chase was eating flesh. He was eating raw animals. Animals. From being a young child. Right. So, I mean, you could argue that he was a sociopathic murderer. Which wouldn't be wrong. Well, it definitely wouldn't be wrong. Right. But then... Just eating raw meat and who knows what. Could that have possibly contributed to his paranoid schizophrenia? Right? I don't know. Like Again, he, I'm not a doctor, but... No, of course. Yeah, right. But yeah, but even being more susceptible to it, and then you have, like, you know, the nature-nurture, you know, the, the nurture, quote-unquote, animal parasites from your environment getting in your brain and shit, it's not going to make things better for you. No, probably not. Huh. So, yeah. All those things kind of, you know, kind of came together, and I was like, "Well, that's not bad." Because I mean, he plotted things out, and of course, but like the spur, um, but like the the bloodlust, the rage, the uh, the anger. Again, the rage deals with you know probably how he was brought up by his family, mm-hmm. but like, oh my god, yeah, well, nuts. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. But yeah, um, so you know, a world of zombies. I right. guess. That's what we'll and I mean, we've seen how, again, lately, we've seen how viruses uh, 
adapt and overcome certain obstacles. Right. And why, maybe not in our lifetimes, but, you know, that's going to continue going on. Right. So at what point do does a, a virus be like, oh, if I, you know, hang out with my friend Rabies over here Damn and it. we infect this guy together, he goes nuts and attacks people and then I just hop along. Skip along. I'm along for the ride. Right. Li- or why doesn't or why doesn't rabies evolve into that? Where, you know, I I can get dogs to bite people and pass it to each other. Right. Why can't I get people to do that? Oh my god. And that's why, like, I'm so glad you mentioned, you know, 28 days later, because it's like the modern interpretation of like what a zombie could realistically end up being. Hmm. Just, just a virus. Just crazy. That like. Biting people, bleeding on people, just time to spread, 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 spread. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's probably the uh, the most likely thing, right? Right. For that scenario to play out, I don't see why. I'm sure a fungus could maybe do it, but I feel like viruses adapt, right. and with our population being as huge as it is like we're seeing with other things things adapt somewhat quicker when they can go from host to host right and one of my favorite metaphors lately which is probably why this episode even ended up happening is how people keep comparing to how like because i you know we don't i don't need to we don't need to get too much into it but like you know people who refuse to do things that would help everyone out you Mm -hmm. know you know the kinds Mm -hmm. um how i've seen it written in metaphors and stuff you know zombie apocalypse the people who you know Refuse to acknowledge the zombies exist. Refuse to acknowledge the big deal. Refuse to admit they could get bitten. And, like, how that could play into furthering some kind of worldwide catastrophe. But instead of, like, you know, what we're currently dealing with, it's literal zombie warfare. And that's just... As far as, like, a modern, you know, something else to add to the zombie mythos would be the the, uh, the societal implications of people ignoring the fact that the zombie shit is happening and how that culturally breeds more zombies. And it's just a m- more of a mess. Mm-hmm. Like, imagine having a zombie vaccine. Like, ah, get out of here. Yeah. I don't want to be as... Yeah, zombies aren't real. Your, your brother Ben just got bitten by a zombie. That was just a guy on PCP. Mm-hmm. Like, well... I, but like you could see his like skin and stuff, like his flesh was—he is a skeleton man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the, it's all the drugs. Yeah, we need—that's why we need all, all the drugs because they got PCP monsters killing my brother Ben. Like, or maybe this thing that like makes you this way. Nah, you know, you can see how that could become a hole. Right. Just yep. you know, it's been bouncing around my head for probably a year and a half. Yeah, I'd say I probably didn't start thinking about it until like five months in. It's like, oh, huh. oh shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Remember five months in? No. Yeah, me neither. Remember last year? I mean, 2019? <laughs> yeah. Last year was 2019. That's what I said. Yeah. That's what I say. Yeah. It's going to be 2020 here at some point. God, I don't want to do that one over again either. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, it'll be 2021 then. Soon. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, 2022. That's the year. Oh. That's what we need. That'll be a good one. Yep. All right, guys. Yeah. I mean, a world of zombies and a world that may or may not come to pass. Remember how I talked about conquest and pestilence? Yeah. Sorry, I have a problem. Remember that if you own a cat, you have probably contributed to the zombified apocalypse. Right. So, I mean, just like, I just just get all the good pets you can. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Because, like, you're in it now, so, like, you might as well go all in. Yeah, just you know, just keep loving and doing what you're doing because you know, cat poop. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, guys. Well, if you um, you know, I was gonna say something about like a cat. Like, if you love cats, email weirdfearpodcast at gmail dot com. Yeah, sure. And let us know how much you love your cat. I don't know how you can check your cat's uh, toxoplasma level, but, I mean, just, just don't worry about it. Yeah, the don't cat's, worry about The cat's it. fine. It's just 
the humans, maybe. Not. Is it bragging about how many rats it's killed that charge it recklessly? Yeah, lately? then then, then, then yeah, maybe. Then, like, <laughs> I, they just came toward me, and I had these claws. What am I supposed to do? Yeah, just go John Rambo on them. Oh my god. <laughs> That's hilarious. But there's a steady stream of of rats coming toward the cat, just being shredded. Just mm-hmm. like and the cat's like, it's got is this really? He's, he's like looking around, like, yeah. are we? Is this really what we're doing? It's got the headband on and the tank top and just slaughtering rats. Oh my gosh. But uh, yeah, Instagram, uh, we're in feared podcast. Patreon.com slash we're in feared, where you can listen to the bonus podcast we do called Behind the Veil where we just keep talking about stuff. And I may be showing Zach an ant video, um, which you will be able to hear us discuss about how that's just a very horrifying way. Just imagining the spore coming out of a human spine and something coming. Like, it's terrifying. Like, I need that. I needed to see that in fiction somewhere because it's not great. Cool. And then anchor.fm slash weird and feared. You can leave us an anchor, a voice message. That's where you can listen to the podcast also. Um, Instagram, all that good stuff. So yeah, guys, just stay safe and stay spooky. Yeah, stay spooky. Mm-hmm.